Hey guys, I'm Alex Philbrick, and this is Fill in the Gap, part of the Vendetta Sports Podcast Network. We have a very exciting show for you today with Edward Ashoff of ESPN joining us. Edward mainly covers college football for ESPN, but he also covers a little bit of college basketball. Uh, you can follow Edward on Twitter, at Ashoff ESPN is his handle. You'll be able to find all of his great work there. With spring football practice wrapping up across the country, we wanted to look at some of the biggest storylines for the 2018 college football season. We'll touch on some quarterback battles, some new head coaches, a little bit of NCAA drama, and much more. Uh, first, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to Fill in the Gap on iTunes. All you have to do is search us in the search bar on the Apple Podcast app, hit subscribe, and you'll be able to catch every episode. Make sure you check out Tuesday's episode where Will Philbrick joined the show. He and I finished our NFL mock draft, and we also touched on some other news going, going on across the league. Uh, I'm thrilled about having Edward on today, so let's go ahead and get into it. Here's Edward Ashoff. Edward, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm all right. It's uh, it's like 85 and, and incredibly hot because the sun, I feel like, was just sitting right over us at USC's practice today, so a little sweaty. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention, you, you've been at USC practice today, so I'm, I'm sure that's that's probably pretty entertaining. Uh, it is. It's interesting to watch them when they have two quarterbacks mm-hmm. who have barely played uh, one guy who's barely played, one guy who hasn't played at all. Yeah. Um, and they're they're trying to install a lot of stuff, and it's been more of a it, it's been more of a kind of a trial by fire for them. And Brian Ellis, new quarterbacks coach, has uh, has been kind of cool with it. He likes it. It's, he's molding new clay. So uh, it's it's been it's been fun to get back into football after uh, hitting basketball for a month. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And we'll talk more about USC and more specifically their quarterback situation here coming up. Um, but uh, we can just go ahead and jump into it. So uh, as I look at the upcoming season, the storyline that jumps out the most to me is how many high-profile programs that have, uh, let, let's call them situations at quarterback. Uh, I can't remember really a year that there's been this many high-profile programs that really have a question mark at, at that position. There's, there's too many for us to dissect every single one of them. So I just wanted to really take a look uh, at, at the four teams that made the playoff last year. Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson. They all have a decision to make a quarterback, and they're all a little bit different uh, from each other. So the, let's start with the defending champs, Alabama. It feels like the answer in the Tua versus Jalen Hurts battle is strongly in favor of Tua. I know he had the thumb injury this this spring, but I don't see that having much of an impact on the decision. Do you feel that it's Tua's job to lose? I don't, actually. I, I, I actually think that Jalen Hurts is very much still in this race mm. and has a great shot of being the starter still. I mean, you got to remember, this is a guy who played for two seasons as a starter. There's only one game that he didn't start. And he goes to a national championship two straight years. Uh, he doesn't win the first time. And the second time, he obviously gets pulled. But this guy has a ton of experience. He's a great leader. He's a great teammate. He knows that offense. Um, I, I think, obviously, with them changing it yet again, it's it's kind of him starting over. And the biggest thing for Jalen is he's got to be a guy who can take the three-step drop and mm-hmm. stand the field. Like, 
the one thing that Lane Kiffin did so well that I'm not sure Brian Dable was able to really do was play to his strengths consistently. Like Lane Kiffin looked at at, uh, at Jalen Hurts and he said, all right, I've got a guy who's probably one of the best athletes in all of college football who can make any play with his legs. He's got a good arm, but he doesn't have the accuracy downfield yet. I'm not going to throw everything at him right now. I'm going to let him come along as much as he can each week and add one thing, add two things. Hey, if it's a good week, I'll add three or four. But I don't need to add six or seven things every week to make him a better quarterback. We've got to to use this offense and mold it around what he does best. And that's why I think that Jalen Hurts said, you know, part of November, you were kind of saying, I mean, could he sneak into the Heisman race as a true freshman? Um, I think he wore down toward the end of the season. Again, being a true freshman, once you get to that 12th game, that 13th game, that 14th game, because they're in the playoffs, and obviously a 15th, like he just, he looked like he was mentally and physically run down. And, and I covered uh, the national championship against Clemson, and I covered the, uh, the semifinal against Washington, and he certainly was not the same quarterback. Granted, those are really good defenses that he faced in those games, and even Florida in the SEC championship that I saw the week before that he was against Auburn, um, and in the middle and the teeth of the SEC season. So I think year two, you just didn't see the evolution of him throwing the ball downfield as much as I think we thought we would after he had such a good spring practice. He's going to get pushed even more. Two is going to get pushed even more. I think it's only. Be- I think it's even better for Alabama to be in this position. Um, I don't think the thumb injury really does much for Tua uh, because he is right now. I'll give you that. He is. He's definitely a better downfield passer mm-hmm. than Jalen Hurts is. But does he know how to corral this team as well as Jalen Hurts? Like. He was playing with house money against Georgia. That's what we got to remember. Like, yeah. I know that he had one of the best plays I've seen by a true freshman when he looked off one of the best safeties in college football uh, last year in the national championship on that game-winning play in Dominic Sanders. But we need to see not just a half, a full game, two games, three games. Like He's got to go through the learning process of being in a season, not just, hey, I've got two quarters and I really have nothing to lose. Like He had absolutely nothing yeah. to lose in that game. So I, I think that this is still 1A, 1B for Alabama. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned Jalen Hurts' leadership ability. You know, sometimes that can be overblown, but he's since he's really a quiet, more reserved guy, um, and it, playing a quarterback at Alabama, that might be that might be your only option under Saban. But we, we really didn't know much about him and his personality. And whenever he got benched, and he he showed uh, you know great leadership by being a great teammate and still you know being the first guy to to, to meet Tua when he's coming off the field and not not sulking or anything like that. That was a very impressive uh, thing about Hurts to me. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, but for Georgia and Clemson, they're in they're in very similar situations. Uh, they both have returning uh, quarterbacks from 2017, and they both signed highly touted true freshman recruits. Justin Fields signed with Georgia. Trevor Lawrence signed with Clemson. Um, they're both expected to come in and compete for the starting job right away. Uh, but, but between Fromm uh, at Georgia and Kelly Bryant at Clemson, wh- which one of those guys do you think has the better chance of of keeping his starting job? It seems it, to me it seems it seems more likely that Fromm will keep his job uh, just because Bryant seems a little bit limited uh, in, in that Clemson offense, but it it's pretty crazy that two playoff teams with returning starting quarterbacks 
they, that their job would both be in jeopardy. Yeah, I think both of them could be benched midway through the season because of how talented and how versatile uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are. I mean, they're the number one and number two player in the country. Consensusly, I mean, they could have been both ranked one. Like, they were yeah. that good. And, and I, I talked to, you know, some recruiting writers who said that Justin Fields was the best quarterback they had ever seen at the high school level. Wow. Uh, he can do it all. I mean, he can spin it. He has great accuracy. He knows the game of football so well. He's incredibly athletic. I mean, if he hadn't gotten injured his senior year, he could have put up just monster numbers uh, in his last year of high school. And and Trevor Lawrence is kind of the same way. I mean, I don't know if he's as as athletic as Justin Fields. I haven't seen as much of him as far as a runner. But he knows the game, too. He can sling the ball. The thing that that I think is going to be interesting with both of these guys is Dabo Sweeney and Kirby Smart didn't throw a lot at their quarterbacks last year. They didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kelly Bryant certainly had to do more uh, than Jake Fromm did because, you know, that defense for Georgia was so good, and they had two NFL running backs, um, and then a young guy, DeAndre Swift, who yeah. was eventually going to be an NFL running back. Yeah. So the, the the pieces around him helped Jake Fromm not have to do much. And, and he even talked about it. You know, Kirby Smart, I asked him during the season every week, you know, what, what's new that you're throwing at? I'm not throwing anything at Jake Fromm because I don't need to right now. Um, and you kind of saw that in the national championship game when he came, when he became too one-dimensional in what he could do. And you could tell that he wasn't reading as much as some of these other guys. Alabama really got aggressive, and they really came after him. They, put one-on-one, they, they got one-on-one with those receivers and forced Jake Fromm to throw the ball, and he couldn't do it. The advantage that Justin Fields has in a situation like that is he can run the ball. Mm-hmm. saw what Tua did. I, I think Justin Fields probably takes that job before Trevor Lawrence, only mm. because I think what what he can do in, in what was a limited offense last year, considering they're not going to have those NFL running backs this year, he might be able to bring more once the teeth of the season starts. And you got to remember that defense is losing a ton mm-hmm. from last year, so they're not going to be able to rely on that defense as much. So I think he has a better shot of starting earlier in the season. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them played early and you had kind of a two-quarterback system in the sense of, hey, this is Jake's team. We're going to bring Justin Fields in on certain situations. Um, I think for Trevor Lawrence, it wouldn't shock me. I I think that he is a more complete quarterback, but there's something to say about experience. And, you know, Kelly Bryant, a lot of people were comparing him to Deshaun Watson his first year. He he certainly – didn't throw the ball downfield as, as well as Deshaun yeah. Watson did. But again, Deshaun Watson's at Clemson for 33 years. So, <laughs> you know, experience goes a long way. So I'll go with Justin Fields now just because I think Clemson has more around uh, Kelly Bryant to help him, even if he doesn't look spectacular. Uh, but, you know, if, if November comes and both these guys are starting quarterbacks, I'm not shocked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the fourth team uh, that made the playoff last year, OU, they, they have the the most unique situation of the three, I think, just because it's not much of a decision. Uh, it's it, the, he, Kyler Murray is going to be the guy. Uh, he redshirted in 2016. He backed up Baker Mayfield in 2017. Do you have any you know thoughts on Kyler Murray as a player, or are you just kind of like everybody else? interested to see what he's like. I mean, he's obviously very highly, highly touted recruit, one of the most successful Texas high school football players ever, extremely good athlete, starts on the baseball team, uh, and he's going to start on the football team. So I was just wondering if you had any strong feelings about him either way. I mean, it was fun to watch the Texas a and I mean, He's got a can for an arm. Um, again, it, 
just like those other quarterbacks that we mentioned. And and then certainly he was young when he was at Texas A&M, or younger, I should say. Yeah. You know, his accuracy downfield, he made a lot of mistakes. He turned the ball over a lot, uh, which, you know, certainly does not help any offense. I think getting some time, getting away from Texas A&M, starting fresh, getting to learn and watch Baker Mayfield, learn from and watch Baker Mayfield certainly helped him last season. The thing that I want to see from Kyler Murray is command of the offense. We didn't see a lot of that at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. It was more of improv and, and just kind of throw him out there and let him work within the offense. Um, and now they're going to have to mold things around him, but he's also got to listen. Uh, he's got to learn from Lincoln Riley, and he's got to take hold of that team. He also hasn't won this job. I mean, Austin Kendall has had a pretty good spring. Uh, and Lincoln Riley says that he thinks that he can win with all those quarterbacks in his room. Uh, especially those two. So I think this is something that bleeds over in a fall camp. We'll see with the spring game if anybody kind of takes a lead. But I also think that's good for Kyler. Yeah. Certainly, you know, he had competition when he was at Texas A&M, and now he's got it again. I think that's the best thing that you could do with a guy uh, who was such, was a top-rated recruit coming out. And there was, there was a little bit of arrogance and confidence that I think was a little too much at times at Texas A&M. Humbling a kid is a great thing, and I'm not trying to compare him to Cam Newton, but I covered Florida when he was there, and he needed to step away from Florida. I, I don't think Cam Newton is a starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, the number one pick and the Heisman Trophy winner if he stays in Gainesville. He needed a change of scenery, and I think that's the same thing that Kyler needed as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and just make it known. I'm a I'm an OU fan. I try to be <laughs> I try to be as a, a, a show as little bias as possible. But um, obviously, I'm rooting for Kyler to to, to be really good. And um, you know, you you mentioning him in the same sentence as Cam Newton. Even though you said I know you said I'm not trying to compare him to Cam Newton, and I don't I've think he's going to be him Cam now. Newton. I've cursed him. <laughs> yeah, if, if if that can even be close to true, obviously I'll be I'll be thrilled about that. But um, well, he get, and, and the thing about Kyler, I mean, he gives you so much with that offense. Like it, he's very similar in Baker in the sense that when things break down, he can get off, and he can get off better than Baker. I mean, oh, yeah. Baker was a tremendous athlete, but he doesn't run a four two forty or whatever Kyler was clocked at. Like. Kyler's going to be able to get out of the pocket when it breaks down and break for a long play. He's going to zigzag and go left and right, but he's going to have to throw the ball downfield. The advantage, it's the Big 12. Defenses mm-hmm. aren't as great as they are around the country. Um, but if you want to win a championship, a national championship with your quarterback, he's got to be able to throw the ball downfield consistently. So that's that's the biggest thing as far as the physical presence for him that he's got to get right. Yeah, definitely, and and he's a little bit smaller guy, so I think another thing for him will be, you know, can he can he take hits? Because hit one of right. his, his biggest strengths, or one of his biggest strengths, is his running ability. So if he's going to take some extra hits, then he's got to be able to stay on the field. Um, but it, it, I'm excited to watch him just because he's such a tremendous athlete. But um, yeah. so I know I know you've covered the SEC a good bit. Uh, so I, w- I wanted to see what you thought about. Um, so last year, the top three teams were Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn. Auburn was kind of that third team that was, uh, I guess a, you could call them a, a challenger to Alabama and Georgia. And they were, I guess they were actually even way more than that because they went two and one yeah. against them. Uh, yeah. But for 2018, it, Georgia and Alabama, at least for the preseason, they're going to be the top two SEC teams without a doubt. Who do you see that third team uh, being that could that could possibly be like Auburn was last year? Do you think it could be Auburn again, or do you think it could be somebody else? I, I had a team in, a team from the East in mind, but I wanted to hear who who, who you thought before that. I 
I think Auburn right now is is that third team. Jared Stone's got to get healthy. I'm sure he's going to be fine for the fall. I mean, they have they definitely have solid, good young receivers coming back off that healthy offensive line. Uh, they're going to run the ball really well. The defense, to me, took such good strides last year that I'm not worried about it. I, I, I think it's it's more of a mental side for Auburn. Like we've been here before. And I still think, I know, even with Gus Malzahn signing that extension, there's still going to be questions if he loses early in the season, if he loses to Texas A&M, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if he loses to Georgia late, if he loses to Alabama, that they're still going to question if he's right, if he's the right man for the job on the plane. So I think from a talent standpoint, Auburn is that third team. If I had to pick a team that could come out of nowhere, I guess, you know, Maybe Texas A&M. I, I still need to see what Jimbo can do away from Florida State. Um, and, and he's a guy who's still kind of figuring out his quarterback situation as well. Um, I think Florida has a chance. Now, mm. the reason I think they have a chance is because Dan Mullen, we've seen the development that he's done at quarterback. If anybody can fix the quarterback issues at Florida yeah. that have gone on for nearly a decade, it's Dan Mullen. He's comfortable in Gainesville. He understands the expectations. He's lived through the expectations. He's gonna. He's not just going to bring a new offensive identity. He's going to bring a swagger and confidence there. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Steve Spurrier. Like he's going to get under the skin of some people. He's already taken shots at Georgia. And, you know, I'm a UF alum. I understand the culture there. That's what they needed, and they haven't really had that. Um, since Spurrier, I mean – Urban Meyer didn't take a lot of public shots. He did do a lot of things mentally with rivalry week, and obviously the infamous timeouts against Georgia uh, in 2009. But this, to me, Florida is a it's a very cocky program, and that's what Dan Mullen is going to bring, and he's not ashamed of that. That's his personality. It worked out fantastically for him in Mississippi State. That If, if that offense can come close to mirror, mirroring what that defense could be, this year, I, I think that they have a chance to challenge Georgia in the East and be that third or fourth team in the SEC this fall. I, I really do think Dan Mullen can move quickly in Gainesville. Yeah, and in addition to the uh, infamous timeout thing, he also had uh, his his linebacker try to gouge out No Sean Marino's <laughs> eyeballs and suspended him for like a quarter against a non conference team. So, yeah. Well, remember, <laughs> Brandon Spikes did that on his own, and then suspended himself for the entire game against Vanderbilt. So oh. Brandon Spikes took that whole situation out of uh, Urban Meyer's yeah, hands. I, I remember covering that. That was a very interesting week in games. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But I, Florida was the team that I actually had written down here as well as the the who could possibly be that number three team. You know, they returned 16 starters. They Their schedule is – it's it's a decent schedule, but it's not incredibly grueling. But there, there's a at the end of September, I think there's a three game stretch where they have at Tennessee, uh, at Mississippi State, and LSU at home. That'll be the kind of their make or break stretch, in, in my opinion. Uh, Mississippi State that they'll be fired up for that game with Mullen <laughs> coming back, Se- oh, yeah. and they have 17 guys coming back um, from their 17 starters coming back, so they should be a, a pretty decent team, especially with. Uh, Fitzgerald being one of those guys, so I mean, I'm yeah. I'm interested to see Florida this year for sure in Mullen's first year. Yeah, I think Mississippi State. You know, Joe Moorhead was such a great offensive mind at Penn State. I, I think they have a. I think they're another team you have to look at certainly in that third or fourth realm 
as well in the SEC. Uh, I mean, they have a fantastic front seven coming back, mm-hmm. and probably their secondary is probably it's probably in its best shape that it's been uh, in a very long time there. So that's another team to look at. If Nick Fitzgerald comes back healthy, uh, and he certainly looks like he's ahead of schedule, that offense is going to keep going. Um, they're they're a team that I think could really challenge in the West too. And, and another thing about Florida. That receiving core, if Van Jefferson, who transferred from Ole Miss, is cleared mm-hmm. to play this season, and Trent Grimes, who transferred from Ohio State, is cleared to play this season, they might have the best receiving core in the SEC. That offensive line is still very much a work in progress, but they've got three running backs who might be NFL running backs when it's all said and done. And getting Jordan, Jordan Scarlett back, who's their top back two years ago, is humongous for that offense. It's going to take a lot of pressure off of whoever is the quarterback there. So I, I like Florida and Mississippi State to be two teams that, that I think we're talking about in November in some capacity in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to Fill in the Gap. Edward Ashoff of ESPN was kind enough to join me today. We're discussing some college football storylines for the upcoming season. Uh, I, I know I, I mentioned I was an OU fan a, a minute ago, and we, we can just go through this quickly since we've already kind of touched on him a little bit. Um, but they, they, OU has won three straight Big Twelve titles. They lost some key players this year, but they're still uh, they still have a lot of talent on the roster, a lot of young talent specifically. Uh, they're the favorites to win it again this year. Lincoln Riley's, in my opinion, has already established himself as one of the top coaches in, in college football. Um, especially, he's prob- in my opinion, he's the best play caller in college football. Uh, maybe that's some of my bias showing, but he he's outstanding it's offensive. Pretty good. He's outstanding offensive coach. Uh, having said all that, do you think they can make it four in a row in a Big 12 championships? And if so, do you th- still think they're a legit playoff contender this year? I, I think that right now they're the favorite, and I think that if you're the favorite in the Big 12, I mean, right now the way it looks, I mean, the way that the, the, the conference played last season, you've got a shot at the playoff. Um, I think it's going to kind of come down to what happens in the Pac-12 if Washington makes a run, because you know they're going to be probably the only team in the Pac-12 with a legit playoff chance, so I think that certainly helps the Big 12, uh, especially when it comes to strength of schedule. The biggest thing for them, I mean, you, you mentioned that they have young talent coming back. Um, CeeDee Lamb is, was one of the best freshman receivers last year. Yeah. Certainly, Marquez Brown coming back, who had more than a thousand yards, is certainly going to help. Uh, Kyler or, or, or Austin, if he ends up winning that job, and you know Rodney Anderson had 1,100 yards, and I think he's going to be a running back that we talk about even more this season. Mm-hmm. But it's going to come down to defense. I mean, yeah. they were not very good on defense last year, and oh. you know, I covered the Rose Bowl. Georgia was able to do whatever they wanted against Oklahoma, and now that you don't have Baker Mayfield, you can't make up those points as much or as confidently as they as they were able to last year. So. The defense has to get better. First and foremost, if Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12 or challenge for a playoff spot, they're going to have to be better on defense. And, you know, uh, listening to them uh, in, in L.A. talk about, hey, you know, we, we feel really good about our defense, and then they gave up a 1,000 yards to yeah. Georgia, it seemed like. You know, that, that, that's, the, that's where we really see the evolution of what Lincoln Riley can do. Because, yeah, I mean, he's a great play caller, and I think that last year he proved that he can take over one of these jobs, and granted, you know, those are Bob Stoops' players, but yeah. you know, he's been around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the limelight doesn't doesn't scare him. He's got to make sure that that defense is playing much better. When you give up nearly 400 yards 
uh, per game. That's not good enough. And in the losses last year, in their two losses, they gave up almost 500 yards. Uh, so, again, they've got to be much tougher and much more defensively sound this year if they're going to make it four in a row. Because I, I, I like West Virginia. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a team that has a really good front seven coming back. Will Greer's going to be back at quarterback, and people are going to probably look at him as a Heisman contender early, early in the season. Uh, David Sills yeah. and Gary Jennings, who caught almost 100 passes last year, and we don't really talk about him as much because Sills uh, was an All-American. He's back, too. They've got to figure out what they're going to do with that backfield, but it looks like they're going to have a three-headed monster starting with Justin Crawford. Um, I, I like West Virginia. I, I think that it's going to come down to West Virginia or Oklahoma this year, and that's good. That's good for the conference. Like yeah. Two years ago, we were wondering if the Big 12 was ever going to have a legitimate shot of winning a national championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last year, coming down to the end of the season, it looked like there were a couple teams kind of jockeying there. I think this is a good season for the Big 12. You know, Oklahoma State certainly uh, replacing a pretty good guy at, uh, at quarterback. So mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be interesting to see from top to bottom where this league is at. But I think at the top, it's West Virginia and Oklahoma. Yeah, and that, that OU-West Virginia game in more, in uh... – in Morgantown is going to be a pretty wild one, I think. And going to be a few people at that game, I'm sure. Probably. And unfortunately for OU's, you know, hopeful defensive improvement, they still have Mike Stoops as the defensive coordinator. And I don't know how it's possible, but somehow his linebackers in the 14th game of the season looked like they were in their first day of spring ball running like the opposite way that Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle were running. So... It's just as a, as an OU fan, it's frustrating. But um, well, and you got to consider. I mean, they didn't see a running back tandem like that. They didn't see yeah. an offensive line like that all season. And, and listen, the Big Twelve and the SEC—it's two different styles. It's two different builds, man. It's two different styles of, or types of football player uh, in the trenches in the Big Twelve compared to the SEC. That's just, that's just how it has been for the last fifteen years. Um, and and the and I will say the Big Twelve has certainly gotten much better up front defensively and offensively, but their defensive line, their front seven, had not seen an offensive line that could push that well, had not seen two NFL running backs like that in the same backfield as talented as Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. So so I'll give them that, but no, I agree. Like they, You can't play like that in a playoff game in the Rose Bowl with a chance to go to the national championship. Um, and, and they certainly cannot do that this year if they want to win the Big 12 again. Yeah, definitely. Um just real, uh, you can just give a real quick answer, just because we've been talking about the Big Twelve for a little bit now. On the other side of the Red River Red River rivalry, that's very hard to say. Tough for everyone. <laughs> Tom Herman starting a second season at Texas. What do you think the bar for success is that will satisfy fans um, with Tom Herman moving forward? Oh man, I, I think that just to really satisfy fans, be in it at the end to win the Big 12 um, and certainly win 10 games. I mean, mm-hmm. last year they won seven. Should they have won more? I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't think Texas was as good last year as a lot of people thought that they would be. I, I didn't think they would lose uh, at the beginning of the year like they did. Yeah. But I think that even with all the hype that Tom Herman had coming in, it was going to be – they are going to be growing, growing pains. It was going to be a work in progress on his end and on, tech, on, on those players in, this is the biggest job for Tom Herman. And you have to go in when they br- they brought back so much talent, there's so much pressure. And I think it got to him. 
Um, now he'll get revenge against Maryland. The, the good thing is that, you know, they're playing that at home. That USC game is going to be very important to him because USC is kind of starting over in some spots, especially a quarterback. Yeah. Um, Tom Herman's got to find his quarterback. That's the thing. I mean, they could have an early role. He'd be the quarterback. Um, is it Sam Inlinger? Is it, is it Shane Bouchel? Cameron Rising has gotten a lot of publicity this spring. I think he's come onto the offense uh, a lot better than people thought and a lot faster, and he just enrolled. So that's another one where we talk about those quarterback battles. That's going to bleed over into the fall. And if you're Texas and you're a Texas fan, like that's the last thing you want to hear about. You want to find your quarterback now. And I wonder if Tom Herman's going to call plays. Like I think he yeah. has to because he understands that that offense has got to get going, and it's too important him not to be the guy that says, all right, this is what we're going to run. So, I mean, I, I think to really appease Texas fans, he's got to win nine or ten games in his second year, whether that's fair or not. Yeah, and you, you said there were some games that they could have won or maybe should have won. The one that sticks out the most to me is that Oklahoma State game, just because the way it ended, that that was one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my life, not only to end a game, but just period. Uh, that one that Sam Ellinger threw in the end zone yes. in overtime, but I, I It'll be interesting to see if if Texas can take a take a leap take a leap forward this year uh, that they've been waiting for for it seems like the past five or six years really. Um, yeah, and I mean they won four of their last six in the season, and I mean they, Missouri was not a great team, but they throttled and that, and those are the kind of games you got to win like that. And mm-hmm. I think that was a great way in the season. So that's some good momentum going into 2018. Yeah. Uh, so at the beginning we mentioned that you've been at USC practice today. Uh, USC and UCLA both have, you know, big changes this year. Uh, for UCLA, obviously, Chip Kelly is probably the most high-profile coaching hire of the offseason, him and Jimbo, I guess. Uh, and USC is replacing Sam Darnold, who might be the number one overall pick. UCLA is also replacing a first-round pick at quarterback with Josh Rosen. Um, do you think – do you see Chip Kelly having it rolling, you know, right out of the gate, or do you think it, it's something that will probably take a year or two? I think it's going to take a year or two. Um, I mean, the, UCLA doesn't have the same sort of talent at receiver or at running back that a lot of these high-profile programs have. Um, I think that they're a little behind USC in overall talent. Um, they're certainly mm-hmm. behind Washington when it comes to overall offensive talent. But Chip Kelly is one of the smartest offensive minds and really football minds in general in the game, whether it's college, NFL, high school, whatever. I want to see what time away from college has done, how he has changed as the game has adapted to what he did at Oregon and did so well at Oregon. Um, and the thing is, is he's got to figure out his quarterback. You know, Devin Monsters had a pretty good spring, played sparingly last year uh, when Josh Rosen was out and looked pretty good. He's a guy who can run a spread offense. He's a left to right, and he's big enough and strong enough that he can go through the middle. Um but I do wonder if Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the guy. If he's a true freshman, he won't be in until June. Um, but he fits the Oregon style of offense that Chip Kelly had uh, when he was in the Pac-12. So I wonder how much it changes from what it was then, how much he took from the NFL to mold into what that old offense was and what he really needs a quarterback. I, I think that DTR – fits that old mold let's see what this new one is and, and I asked him about him and he said look I'm not asking him to look at the playbook right now I want him to enjoy his the rest of his senior year and then we'll get going he, he doesn't care what happens in spring like it's been more of a layering process 
uh, with how he's approached not just the quarterbacks but everybody on that team because they don't really know each other. He doesn't want to throw a ton of the playbook at them right now. They'll st- they're installing, but at a very slow process, and that's really going to ramp up um, as they dive into the playbook over summer and certainly during two days. Uh, so I think it's anyone's game at quarterback for UCLA, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him. I, I think that as as great as his offenses were at Oregon, Pac-12 can run can throw and run the ball well. Mm-hmm. They can spread you out. They know what's coming from Chip Kelly. He's got to adapt to all of that. I want to see what they can do defensively because they were one of the worst teams in college yeah. football on defense. Like to me, that's the biggest thing for him. He's got to be able. To go, all right, if I can score 30 points a game, then I can win. Because last year they had to score 40, 45 to win games. I don't think that's going to be the case. Because I don't, I don't know if that offense is going to be as sound as it was last year because everything is so new. Um, and they're, they're going to be running something that'll, that most of these teams in the Pac-12 see every weekend. Yeah, and we'll find out a lot about them early on. They have a, a week two trip to Norman. So we'll be able to see where they're at pretty early on, I guess. Um, just across town at USC, as I mentioned, they're replacing Sam Darnold. Um, what are you seeing whenever you go to practice there with their quarterback situation? Do you think it's J- JT Daniels is a, the favorite to win the job as a true freshman, or do you think it'll be somebody else? I think that he is the favorite in everyone's mind away from USC. I think internally, right now, they have everyone on the same plane. And certainly, JT Daniels, who should be a senior in high school this yeah. fall, I mean, let's not forget that. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> is behind because he's not throwing the ball. The advantage that he has taken is he has been at USC's practices as much as possible. He's been watching film with coaches. Uh, you know, Brian Ellis told me today, their quarterback's coach, that he's so smart and knows the game so well that when they watch film, he doesn't have to really do as much. He's he's in the playbook. I think the opposite of what Chip Kelly's done with DTR is that, you know, JT Daniels has come in and said, I want this playbook now. He's, he's gotten with T. Martin. You know, I, T. Martin told me, you know, we didn't really ask a ton of him. He asked us. Yeah. So he's been a guy who has just wanted to learn so fast and he wants so much right now so that when he comes in over the summer, he's ready to just jump on it. That's not going to happen. Like, he's, he's obviously going to have to take his lumps. He's going to have to learn, and, and it wouldn't shock me if you see you know, Matt Fink or Jack Sears start the first couple of games, but he's going to play. I think he's too talented. He knows the game too well. We'll see how much he really knows that playbook when the bullets start flying because playing in high school compared to playing in the Pac-12 and playing in Pac-12 practices is going to be a lot different for him. But I, I, I do think that both UCLA and USC, their starting quarterbacks for the long run in 2018 have not been on campus yet. I should say are not enrolled on campus yet. I got you. And Daniels is intriguing to me because, as you mentioned, he should be a a senior in high school. He should be a junior in high school still. He should be about to enter his senior year of high school. Right, yeah. But whenever he reclassified or whatever, he became a top 10 prospect in in the 2018 class, like right away. So that that makes him intriguing to me. But um, yeah. And the thing with USC is the, the problem that, that, that Sears and Fink have had this spring is they've just turned the ball over way too much. They played a lot better in this last scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, and Clay Helton talked about it today that, that he wanted to clean up the mistakes and he saw that. Now, the biggest thing was is they had a little bit of drop off in their practice today. And that's what can't happen. Like, they've got to be able to go from, all right, we're turning the ball over a lot to let's lessen turnovers, let's command the offense to continuing that and getting better. So, 
they only have two more practices. They don't have a spring game, and then it's off to off season where the coaches aren't going to be around them. It's going to be seven on seven, mm-hmm. and then JT Daniels and JT Daniels will be there for seven on sevens, and then it's fall camp. So it's a short window, and they know JT is there. Brian Allison like to talk about him in front of the other guys. But they know that he's there, and that's mm-hmm. something that I think is good for them because that job is, is totally up for grabs. And they said, look, we are not naming our starting quarterback this spring. I think that that takes a little bit of the pressure off of them, but I think it gives JT Daniels even more confidence coming in. Yeah, definitely. Um, Edward Ashop of ESPN is here with us. You can check out his work at ESPN.com. You can find him on Twitter at Ashoff ESPN is his handle. Um, we're at we're, we're a little bit longer already than uh, than what I had what, what what we had planned on. Sorry, so we'll, we'll try to run through these last. Sorry couple. about that. I'm, I'm a no, talker, man. No, no, oh, yes. <laughs> don't don't be sorry. I, I'm concerned on your end, not not my end. I could I could do this for a while, but I just have a couple more things that I wanted to touch on, and one of them is a a recent story that has been. It's it's been going on for a couple months now, but it's it's been kind of quiet and until I guess yesterday, um, and then that's the Shea Patterson, Ole Miss, Michigan love triangle that's going on. Um, Ole Miss has been they, they're they're under NCAA sanctions. They've for the past year and a year or two they've been you know being investigated or whatever. Uh, Shea Patterson was a freshman last year. Started at quarterback for them, and he wore like number twenty or twenty-one, which was weird. But he transferred to Michigan after the sanctions came down. He applied for the immediate immediate eligibility. He claimed that he was, you know, misled by the coaches during his recruitment uh, about what was going on with them regarding the NCAA issues. Uh, yesterday, it came out that Ole Miss has officially objected to him being granted eligibility, which I did not know that was a thing until I saw that yesterday. Uh, So I saw you tweeting about it a a little bit last night. What are your thoughts overall on the situation? I think, and and I'll help you out here because I I won't have to dive into it very deep, but I I think that Ole Miss doesn't owe Shea Patterson anything in what they say. And they could have easily – what they did was totally fine. The only thing that I had said was if Ole Miss really wants to distance themselves from all of this is when they come out and disagree with what Shea Patterson is saying and they, they feel like they did not mislead uh, any of these players, especially Shea, that's fine because you don't have to say anything else. But if you want to distance yourself from this and just move on, I think you just add in there, look, we disagree with everything that he's saying. But we are fine with him and these other players who decided to transfer. We, we are fine with them playing this year. You know, What we say doesn't matter in the eyes of the NCAA, but when you're still getting over the fact that you made mistakes, you broke rules, I know that they are appealing a lot of the sanctions that the NCAA has put down on them and some of the stuff that they said that Ole Miss still believes that they didn't, uh, that some mistakes they didn't make. This is, this is not claiming any sort of guilt by saying that. Mm-hmm. It's just furthering yourself from it. And I think that the PR nightmares that Ole Miss has had over the last couple of years, this is just a way to kind of save face in a situation where as soon as they say that they object to it, people are going to jump on. Um, if you say, look, let, if, if it were up to us, we'd let them play. We don't care. Do what you – we know that this doesn't affect you in NCAA, but we just want you to know that it's fine if they play. Then – People start to go, all right, 
at least this is coming to an end. Now it's just more drama, um, whether Ole Miss intended it or not, uh, that they're going to have to deal with. And, you know, I, I don't think that they were wrong in, it, in, in what they said. But I think if you just kind of add that in there, it starts to push you away from it further and further uh, as the NCAA figures out the appeals process and all that kind of stuff. So um, there is a lot to unpack from all of this. And talking with a few schools that have some of those Ole Miss transfers, they are waiting with bated breath to see what happens with the NCAA in Michigan and how the NCAA responds to, to Michigan and the words that they use so they can figure out how that they how they can make sure that their guys are eligible this fall. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just makes it seem like Ole Miss is still not owning up to any like anything they did wrong. Or it makes it seem like Ole Miss is not fully owning up to their wrongdoing by doing this. And I, I agree that if, if, that, if they want to do this to Shea Patterson, I mean, is it wrong? I don't really think it's wrong. But as, as you were kind of saying, it's like, just let it go. And at least that's the, to put it simply, that's kind of the way I I view it for Ole Miss. It's like, just move on. You know, you, you, you got in trouble, accept the punishment. Don't try to still hold on to this with Shea Patterson. It just doesn't really make much sense to me. And really the, the rule that the NCAA has in place. I mean, if you're, if you're a kid who signs with a team and then after your freshman year, they get knocked with sanctions. It's like, and and the coach that you committed to play for got fired. I don't really see why. I mean, I, I, most people would agree with me. So this isn't like some you know insightful opinion. But it only it seems like they should be allowed to transfer without having to sit out just because they're not playing for wh- what they signed up for. Yeah, and, and I think that listen, coaches can leave whenever they want. You know, a coach decides after the third game he's done, he can leave. Um, look at Gary Anderson at. Uh, at, uh, Oregon State. Uh, at, at, yeah, at Oregon State. I mean, I, it's it's interesting talking to coaches about this um, because a lot of them don't were were really upset when the the transfer proposal was thrown out that you know the, the, the there would be a chance that players would be able to immediately play after a transfer. And they said, you know, I talked to one coach who told me this spring, you know, that's the dumbest thing he's ever heard because then you would see free agency. You would see guys yeah. leave once they knew they weren't going to be able to start. And I understand that. Like, it, it's not as beneficial to guys who are in college because when you're in the NFL and you leave, you just pick right back up and in college you're still learning. But at the same time, man, these coaches can leave whenever they want. And I think that's a consequence that the players should be able to have, you know, whether it messes with continuity or not, you know. Coaches are allowed to do it. I am totally for the players being able to do it, especially when circumstances happen like all this. Yeah, and it's a tricky situation on the player side, just because you know you want it to be fair for them and 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 allow them to be able to do what the coaches are allowed to do. But then on the flip side, as you said, it just becomes free agency. It's the wild, wild west, basically, and and that then it just becomes too far gone to where you can't rein it back in. So there's like it, there's no happy medium. It feels like it. Te- it seems like both options are, are extremes, but I guess that's just the way the way that it is. Um, before I, before I let you go, just for fun, I wanted to see if I could get what I called in an email the other day your way too early gun to your head subject to change <laughs> prediction <laughs> for who makes the playoff this year. I know that's it, it's it's stupid to even do it, but I, it's entertaining to me. So 
Well, not who wins I, it, just who the four teams that make it, I guess. So I will go with Alabama and Clemson because I I won't pick against Alabama again until mm-hmm. they lose. I'm going to go with Ohio State and West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. I, I think Will Greer is going to have a really, really good year. And Dana Holgerson said earlier this spring that he is – he looks like a fifth-year senior. Like he's just—he's such a great leader. He's a great athlete. He was statistically the best quarterback in the country when it came to completion percentage and yards, um, and I think touchdowns on the zone read. So, I, I think West Virginia is going to be really good and really fun to watch this year. And they get Oklahoma at home, so that's big. Yeah, when my dad listens to this, he'll be very fired up that you're speaking so highly of Will Greer because <laughs> good, last last good. year there was a story about. Uh, him, I think it was on ESPN.com, but the headline was uh, something about him being the most prolific passer in the country, and he's like sending me a screenshot. He's like, how how could somebody even say this? You know, like, do they not know Baker exists? But so <laughs> it's not Will Greer's I, fault at all. But he just like always has a thing against him. It might have been mine. I did a story on, on, uh, on quarterbacks, and I broke down like every situation, and I had Will Greer as the top uh, zone read guy. I think he was in like a couple of those uh, categories. So I'm. It, it might be me. I, that might be number two uh, against your dad for me. <laughs> I think he might be over it now because we got the be- we got the best of him. I guess <laughs> that's but. true. Yes. Um, well, Edward, thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun for me. Thanks I really, for me. I really enjoy getting to dig into some college football. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 it seems like it's kind of like the NFL and the NBA now. There's not really an off season, but I've missed it since it ended, especially since my team ended in heartbreak. But I just love I, I love the sport so much, and I'm glad to be able to talk about uh, the future moving forward with a, a year that's going to have a lot of changes, but still an exciting year. Um, don't forget, you can follow Edward on Twitter, at ESPN is his handle. This was Fill in the Gap. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>